0: You know what really makes us mad? Is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs! Yeah! Talk about punk!
1: What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I am your other
2: co-host, Dylan Hensley.
1: And this is the show where we assign our guests a year and choose one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year for us to talk about. There's no guest today, so I picked the record.
2: Yeah, we are (laughs) going old school. Old school.
1: Yeah. No guests this week due to some scheduling issues. You know, work and school make things tight. It's hard to uh, schedule people, you know, before noon, (laughs) too. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, if you're listening and you are awake before 9 o'clock Pacific (laughs) time and want to be on an episode.
1: Actually, no, it's more specific to between 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That is literally the only time we can record (laughs) some days. So if you've got two hours in that window, uh, reach out. We might yeah. put you on. But yeah, uh, well, we're going to try and get some guests back in here into some rotations soon. We've got a fun one next week, actually. And uh, we got some other others coming up. Actually, quite a few uh, Patreon episodes coming up soon. So if you're interested, uh, you head over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash where you get access to all of our weekly bonus audio uh so we do a couple things so uh number one is our one dollar tier where you get access to all the bonus audio it's you know what are we doing this week we're doing an i'm listening
2: yeah we're just going to recap what we've been listening to in the last this is the last time we did one i guess really just the last month or so
1: yeah i looked at it the last time we recorded one was 125 and the one we're going to record tomorrow will be 225 so exactly one month later pretty much uh and yeah so that's where we yeah we talk about the stuff we listen to over that month um but also the ten dollar tier is where you get to choose what album we talk about and i think we're gonna devote a good chunk of the month of march to just our patron selections we got a little bit of a backlog and we were trying to get people scheduled and then it just got to the point where we're like all right we just have to do them all back to back at this at this point so be on the lookout for those we've got some fun ones coming up i just got a notification that i want to iphone 13 on instagram so that's that's exciting can't wait can't wait to look at that they use lots of emojis too <laughs> let's see you're writing a little bit on the sub stack over there i read a little something on the sub stack too
2: yeah trying to get back into that uh hopefully i'll have some things to talk about try and write one next week you'd have some free time to do it
1: yeah that and that is uh let's see it's punklautopod.substack.com the one website that puts our name before the domain. And we're on all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at PunkLadoPod. And we have a voicemail line, which is 202-688-PUNK. Call us, leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the show. We've had some fun ones. No Madball calls this week, but, you know, something's in the works associated with that. Maybe. I don't want to give it away, though, if that is the thing. Sorry. Try not to break kayfabe, I guess.
2: We've got a... Well, yeah. if he shows up, that that's the, that's oh, the thing. Man. If he doesn't chicken out, you know, we got we got the cameras. We're ready. I we have maybe a little fight video. <laughs> we're
1: gonna post what on World that? Star. World Star. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to the deli in Chicago. Okay, that's what we're doing. But yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's everything. Patreon, Twitter, all that stuff. Email, email, punklottopod at gmail.com. Yeah, I think that's everything. So not a lot to jibber jabber about up top. So we'll just, uh,
2: yeah, no, no interview. We can, we can devote a little more time to the charts and then, but maybe not because you said you have a lot of notes on the record that we're talking about. So yeah, do you want me to tell you what normally I tell you up front what we're listening to? So (laughs) let's, let's go with that. Uh, we're talking about the year 2004, uh, and we're talking about the record Palm Trees and Power Lines by Sugar Cult. Remember Sugar Cult? (laughs) Before we get into that though, we'll, uh. Look at look at the year. Yeah,
1: two thousand and four was. Hmm. Do you remember two thousand and four?
2: I'm trying to. I'm looking at the list and I'm trying to figure out what I would have bought.
1: Yeah, I found some stuff, but you got to go a little deeper than you, you would on the main the main stuff. Uh, there's there's some things I kind of distinctly remember. I remember being in my bedroom listening to it. So like that's that kind of puts me in the exact point. The biggest. And most well-known record probably from that year, at least when it comes to punk music, is Green Day's American Idiot. It's a rock opera. It sure is. <laughs> I remember, I don't know if we ever talked about this record on the show, but I rem- maybe we have. But if not, we'll rehash it. Uh, I remember checking the CD out from the library. Like I did so much music during this time period. And I remember like, cause I think at that point only the, the single had come out, American Idiot, maybe one other single had come out. And I liked the single American Idiot because it's just double whiskey, Coke, no ice, <laughs> but and there was probably another song or two that were out by that point. And I remember listening to the record going, Hmm, it's, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I don't know that it was one of those records that was like, Oh my God. It's incredible what they've done. And it's like, eh, they just wrote a rock opera.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. There's some slow songs. I, I remember we must have heard that record really early into its release. Yeah. Because I really only knew "American Idiot," um, the single, the song. Um, and then I feel like we probably listened to that CD and we're like, eh, it's fine, whatever. And then, and then it seemed like a few months later. It was like, holy shit! This record is huge. <laughs> yeah, like everyone loves this. And I'm Just curious. being like completely like, I feel, feel like we were like completely isolated and missed the boat.
1: Yeah, I think we listened to it before the big singles had come out. Like American Idiot had come out, and maybe was Jesus of Suburbia a single? I feel like there were two faster singles. Okay, first it was American Idiot, and that was in August. Then Boulevard of Broken Dreams came out in November.
2: Okay, yeah, that and, that makes sense. I'm I'm stretching the time frame, but that makes sense.
1: So you think we listened to it between August and November? Or I think so. You? Wow, that's that's very close. There's a chance that Boulevard of Broken Dreams had come out as a single because the next single doesn't come out until the following March, and that's holiday. So there's a there's a chance, oh, but I don't remember listening to it around Christmas time but I guess it could have been January or February. I don't know. Definitely remember hearing, yeah, it may have been in that little time period. That gives you three months to listen to it. August 9th through November 29th. That's basically three months. So yeah, there's a good chance we did listen to it then. And we're going, there's a lot of slow songs on here. And then they made Mm. them the singles. Yeah. Yeah. Wake me up when September ends. (laughs) Then they like closed out the single cycle with Jesus of Suburbia. That was the final single. And I remember being like, Finally, they put the, like, the only other song I remember liking on it out, but I barely remember that song, too. Yeah. Listen to it in a vacuum with, like, no other input definitely leaves you with a different, like, that record.
2: And and then you go to the mall, and there's all these American Idiot hoodies, and you're like, what the, what (laughs) is, what did I miss?
1: I think the story was more interesting, too, with the original record being stolen, and yeah, which we have talked about that on
2: here. I don't, I don't know if that, I believe that story. (laughs) um i i did find some records that i I do remember coming out that year that i remember buying i got um this is really funny i feel like these came out the same month but i feel like i got one and then i got the other for christmas and this was such this was such a turning point this really exemplifies so much about 2004 for me i'm 14 up to this point like my favorite bands were like I would say probably at this point Reliant K was my favorite band Mm -hmm. Um, and their record Mm -hmm, comes out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, I remember it being boring (laughs) (laughs) and being really disappointed in it Uh, and then that same month but I, I got it for Christmas was the chariots everything is alive everything is breathing nothing is dead and nothing is bleeding and that's just such a like complete u-turn like just like i I remember getting that cd for christmas and putting it in my cd player and thinking
1: "Uh uh-oh i made a mistake
2: i shouldn't have gotten this
1: (laughs) i remember hearing it for the first time too and going it sounds bad (laughs) but we were already familiar with norma Jean at this point yeah but barely that record is just so raw, because they recorded it live in studio. It's so raw. It doesn't work. on um, The live in studio doesn't work for that record. It worked for the Norma Jean record that they did that on, but not that chariot one. Because they would get better, I think. Their later stuff's way better than that
2: record. Yeah. I definitely made myself like that one. Yeah, that's a I force. just kind of like committed to it and kept listening to it. What's the... We could... I don't really want to go all the way down the rabbit hole of all of the Christian metalcore that we were listening to.
1: Yeah, and I want to avoid the emo stuff because I have a, I have a thing I want to talk about with that stuff on the record. So,
2: I I guess the other big uh, threads through 20, 2004, 2004. What, how was I going <laughs> to say that? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the hot fuss, Franz Ferdinand... Funeral by Arcade Fire, follow up Interpol record, mm-hmm. um, year. So that's that's a big 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 deal. Like that's what so much of the radio sounds like. It's it's that and like um, who's the who are the Also Rans that started getting the Hives have a record that year, which the Hives were kind of the Hives were actually doing that before.
1: Yeah, the Hives are doing that in like the ni- early nineties, mid nineties.
2: But they didn't re- they got popular on that wave.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it took, yeah, because it was like the vines. It was like a combination. It was like the post-punk revival thing, which I don't feel like was big on the radio, except for the Killers. But then there was also the garage rock revival with the hives and the vines, and then later White Stripes having radio hits. Yeah. So it was all about revival in the, in the early 2000s. I've also always taken a little bit of a, Annoyance at the term "post punk revival." What is what is that? What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It just means you took post punk and you're a new band, right? Or is there something I guess was there something else to it that I'm not thinking of?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it gets called a revival because there was just like kind of an influx of bands doing that. Um, and Inter Interpol really kind of signified it. Like, it's not that there weren't bands doing post punk or being influenced by post punk. Prior to that, but it was that was Turn on the Bright Lights was such a popular record that people then kind of followed in their footsteps in the way that they were doing something post-punk. And that's where I think that the idea of a post-punk revival solidifies because you listen to The National, you listen to, I mean, The Killers definitely drew from other places, but there's a good deal of their sound that's like, no, that's just straight Interpol.
1: Yeah, The Killers is, like, the mainstream version of Interpol.
2: I mean, yeah, The Killers would bring in, like, other... They would bring in, like, The Cure and other influences, too, but...
1: And like, Franz Ferdinand was really really big that year, and I remember that record being, like, very well-regarded, and people talked about, like, this record's amazing! And didn't they take, like, forever to follow up with anything? They, like, lost all of their momentum
2: no you could have it so much more you could have it so much better came out in 2005 but then oh
1: that was like immediately after
2: (laughs) but then nothing and that one was on domino yeah oh they actually were on domino the oh i think they got maybe they got picked up or got distribution from sony is domino a sony let's see there's epic and maybe domino is just a subsidiary Um, no it's a uk label
1: yeah domino's a uk label yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, to me Franz Ferdinand was always just was just doing what Modest Mouse had done already the year like the year before with Good News.
2: Yeah, Franz Ferdinand never I didn't mind the songs when they were on the radio, but they never really clicked. Yeah, there wasn't he, anything about them that compelled me to, to listen to their full records. Yeah. Uh heavy
1: stuff though, worth mentioning, Converge released You Fail Me and the Dillinger Escape Plan released Miss Machine. Miss Machine was huge. It was a massive record for heavy music.
2: That's it's really funny that Converge and Dillinger Escape Plan both put out very long delayed follow-ups because Jane Doe was 2001, and there was there was just I know there was so much like expectation for the follow-up to that record. Um, Dillinger Escape Plan put out Calculating Infinity in '99, though so I don't know what if they broke up. They did that Mike, Mike Patton rec EP in 2002.
1: I was going to say, that's what it is. Irony is a Dead Scene came out between Calculating Offending and Miss Machine. And it also explains the why they just started ripping off Mike Patton <laughs> 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 and later stuff. Uh, starting with Miss Machine, but really going for it in Ironworks. So, uh, Mike Patton is kind of the reason why. there. W- I feel like that record was bigger for their, their story than... Maybe for everyone else listening. I see other stuff like uh, The Libertines and Kasabian. Were they just bigger in the UK? Probably. Is there a Peep Show Kasabian reference? <laughs>
2: Snow maybe. Patrol.
1: Uh, uh, End of Heartache by Kill Switch Engage was kind of a big deal, too. The first Howard Jones record. We probably saw them in 05.
2: Maybe even 06.
1: Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um...
2: That's probably but right. yeah, I don't I don't see there's really there's really not much I mean buried back here on the second page which is weird is cool to be cool to be you by descendants yeah. um the, the 2000s comeback record.
1: Yeah, if we do the the what we call the Legacy X, uh there's a Bad religion record, you know, the Empire strikes first. There's yeah, the descendants record. Uh, would you put Rise Against released Sirens Song of the Counterculture, which I think was a big turning point record for them. I'd call them a legacy act now, but back in 04 they were not a legacy oh, act. No, yeah, they
2: were. They were a new band, but yeah. Yeah, this was their blow-up point. They kind of they kind of were like oh you like Green Day?
1: <laughs> well, here's a here's some Green Day that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. There's stuff. There's stuff that's just like Atreyu the Curse, Fairy 4. Fairy 4. <laughs> yeah. Just some of these records that are just like, yeah, that, that all could only exist at that point.
2: An important, an important thread uh, that we should probably touch on. Circle Takes the Square releases As the Roots Undo. Uh, yeah. If we're going down to basement level punk, um, that's a monumental record. There's other there's other Screamo stuff in that vein as far as like the DIY Screamo stuff. Not a ton. It's kind of I wanna say it's kind of a slower year for that.
1: Uh off minor, uh Amanda Woodward, Man. Yeah. La Decadence de la Decadence. Uh the Erg Stork Rock Corkrod. So like that's your basement punk. <laughs> yeah. These bands are playing basement shows still. Or record stores or, you know, tiny clubs. And I was listening to Demon
2: Hunter's Summer of Darkness. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the um, rabbit hole I didn't want to go down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's where we were. Just figuring out metalcore is how I would uh, describe <clears throat> this time period.
2: Hot Water Music put out the new What Next. Yeah. Um, curious to see how I'm going to evaluate that one, reevaluate that one when I get to it in our uh, challengeography. Yeah. Ruben released race
1: cars, race car backwards. That record,
2: so good, really great record. Yeah, Ruben is not a band. Ruben is huge in the UK, but not a band that people in the US know. Yeah, it's a very all. good record. Uh,
1: and then I see some like goofy ass psychobilly horror pops, Tiger <laughs> Army. Yeah, I think there's a Necromantics record too. Yeah, so that was happening.
2: Um, but yeah, I think that I think that pretty much hits everything
1: the big stuff that was going on yeah i think so besides like sass core but uh, yeah. we are not sas core authorities so
2: i'm getting pretty far into the weeds on obscure metalcore already <laughs> yeah. so i'm i think that's probably it there's a there's a legacy less than jank b is for b-sides record so it's probably a, a comp not a good sky here yeah it's, it's a comp
1: it's a comp that these weirdos on this stupid website are like oh 50 new material counts as a record
2: (laughs) yeah there's a big d record and probably not much else
1: yeah sky was pretty dead in 04 as far as like lots of attention yeah well let's uh let's talk about the record then so i picked 04 because we haven't done this year in a year last time we did it was a census fail record with, uh, we talked with the members of God Program who they just announced they are <laughs> wrapping things up. So, oh. hate to see them go, but they had some good stuff. So, yeah, 2004, and I selected Palm Trees and Power Lines by Sugar Colt. Santa Barbara California they formed in 1998 this is their second full-length studio album there's some trickiness in the wikipedia articles if you look at them they have two demo records prior to this one so one page wikipedia says that it's their second record and another page says it's their fourth record whatever
2: they have two wikipedia pages
1: no no album pages the album pages
2: this album has two pages
1: no, it's, like, one on the band page and one on the album page. Like, they say okay. different things. Yeah. Like, this one, I think, says second if you go to this Records Wikipedia page. But then if you look at like <laughs> on their band page, it's like, this is their fourth album. It's like, I guess you would count a demo as an album. But they were CDR releases, so I don't know. Anyway, this was released on Fearless and Artemis Records. The personnel is Aaron Older on bass and vocals. Kenny Livingston on drums, Marco DeSantis on guitar, and Tim Pagnotta on vocals and guitar. The album was produced by Gavin McCallop, who did records by General Public, Shriekback, Toad the Wet Sprocket, Goo Goo Dolls, The Laws. And after this record, he did MXPX's Panic, like, the next year. This record has three different people credited as engineers on Pro Tools, (laughs) which I assume means Pro Tools are still pretty new, (laughs) It took three people to figure out how to use it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Make sure they know we got Pro Tools on this record.
1: And there are three people credited with mixing this album. Gavin McCallup does a couple tracks. Tom Lord Algie does a couple tracks. And Mark Trombino of Drive Like Jehu produces some tracks, on <laughs> mixes some tracks on here. Weird. We'll, we'll get into some of that. And this is the first record to feature Kenny Livingston with the band after replacing their last drummer, Ben Davis, who went into rehab and then like quit the band after. So, uh, what, you, what is your feelings and knowledge about the band Sugar Cult prior to listening to this record?
2: None. <laughs> I mean, I know what they are. Like, if I knew that they were a pop-punk band. I knew that they were a... I could assume that they were a SoCal pop-punk band. That is right, right?
1: We're Santa Barbara.
2: Yeah. I guess that's not really SoCal. Is it? Santa Barbara is.
1: You better get this right. They're going to take away your California card.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, it's south of Bakersfield, so yeah, it's I know it's one of the coastal towns. I, was, I can never remember how far up it is, but it's yeah, it's SoCal. Central California, I guess. <laughs> um if you recognize that distinction, yeah, I mean, I would I would just say that this is this is major label or like Major, major label adjacent pop punk. Uh, major label aspiring pop punk. MTV, use Play, music videos. That's that's about it. They were, on, were they on Fearless? Yeah, Fearless. Yeah, okay.
1: Who hadn't really done anything else important that year. Like, there's nothing yeah. else that they put up. Brazil, you know that band? No, yeah. no one does.
2: <laughs> Is this before or after the, the Fearless tipping point where they're like, all our money's on pop punk?
1: Might be before... The tipping point. I feel like Felix was a little bit more relevant later than they were in 04. I don't know. Could be wrong. No. So, like, did you even know? Did you know any Sugar Cult? You ever heard any Sugar Cults?
2: I wouldn't recognize. I wouldn't. None of the songs would have come to mind. Um, but w- listening to this record, there's. I did recognize at least one song. So I've heard it. At, I've probably heard or seen the music video in recent. Years just like re watching old music videos from this time period, but I, d- I definitely recognized the single, the big, the main single on here.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, my Sugar Cult exposure probably begins with Late Night with Conan O'Brien because they were on there during the time period where I was taping every episode of Late Night and then watching it the next day
2: after we got in trouble for staying up late and watching it.
1: I guess. I don't know. But then later we just started staying up late and watching it. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's a weird thing. It could have just been just like our mm-hmm. mom being like, look, if you stay up too late, then you're not going to wake up and do your schoolwork. So go to bed. <laughs> not so much they care that we were up. But so I remember taping it, probably watching it and going, hey, this isn't bad. This is pretty good. I, like they, they played the song Memory. I remember thinking, was like, hey, this man's pretty good. I don't know anything about them. I kind of like their name, Sugar Colt. It's not a bad name. Don't know what
2: it means, but it's not a bad name. Do you think it's a good name now? I think it's fine. I I think it's a bad name. I think it's fine. I really. think it's it's just too meaningless. It's
1: meaning... Man, I cannot wait to talk about how meaningless this band is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They were also on the Warp Tour 2004 compilation. The song Destination Anywhere was on there, which explains why I found that song so familiar when I was listening to it. I was like, this song feels like another song I know. No, it was just that song. And it does feel like another song that I know. But uh, yeah, and I remember seeing this CD on shelves at like a media play, probably media play, maybe Best Buy, maybe Walmart, most likely media play or Best Buy. They were always one of those bands that I was like, uh, I don't know what they really, I don't know what their records sound like. And I remember like at one point even being like, I like that one performance. Would I like this? Thinking about buying it, but then just like not knowing enough about them to ever actually like pull the trigger and be like yeah I'm going to buy this um I'm now I'm <laughs> knowing that I'm glad I didn't but I don't know maybe then they would be a much more important band to us but uh they kind of wound up disappearing like they they do another record after this and but they never like get to that level that they're very clearly aiming for but uh
2: what do you think of it I was dreading listening to it um, I put it on this morning, actually. Oh, not myself. Um, but hey, it's fresh. And I remember, like, it's starting, and I'm like, yeah, all right, this is about what I expected, pretty typical 2004 pop punk." And then kind of getting into it pretty quickly and being like, "All right, this is actually better than expected pop punk." And listen to the whole record, and other than a few slower tracks that just don't do anything, I think it's a good record. <laughs> it's not a great record and I don't know that I'm gonna come back to it but it's definitely it definitely caught me off guard I think that's maybe one of the biggest advantages that it has is that it's unsuspecting it it has the element of surprise up to be like hey this is sneaky good in some places um, but we can get a little more into that in a second because mm. I want to know more about their actual story if you had more notes on that uh, I got a little bit of maybe because you're saying that, how meaningless they are. That's what I want to know.
1: How meaningless are they? So, okay. I've always been curious about this band. Mainly because I was just like... I remember liking the one song. I remember being intrigued by their album art. Their name I, always stuck in my head as being like, I should listen to Sugar Cult. Like, I don't know why. I've always felt like, I should listen to that re- that band. And never did it before now. And so when I was going through... One of the ways I decided on what to what to talk about this week is I was just basically kind of went to like a certain page, like not too far in, not too far out on the Rate Your Music punk charts for this year, and I like looked at everything on that page and I was like, okay, I got a couple options here. I could try a couple things here. And one of the things that I did to kind of decide is I looked at play counts on Spotify. And I was <laughs> like, all right, what's popular? Like what's going on here? Like cuz I was really looking at I don't know what was on this this exact page. So I was on page five. So like I was like thinking I was like okay, uh, I'm not gonna do the Hot Water Music because we're gonna we're gonna be talking about them a lot in the future. Uh, there's a Modern Life Is War on that page, but it's not the Modern Life Is War record. So I was like nah okay.
2: And someone might pick a Modern Life Is War record, you know? Right.
1: I looked at the Bayside record. I was like uh, they had staying power. What else did I look at? The Pine. I looked at and I was like uh, no one's gonna care about the Pine. I just. <laughs> <laughs> just thought about it for a second. I was like, well, I could go and pick Burning Bridges by Haste today. And we go down that rabbit hole again. But uh, no one needs to hear us do that again recently. You know, so soon. Bear your Dead did Cover Your Tracks. I was like, mm, I don't know what there is. So then just going and looking at listens, I was like 100,000, 200,000, 300,000. Earlier you said uh, today you made a guess on their how many listens they have.
2: I literally... I literally, it's so funny that you b- picked this based on Spotify accounts, because I said, don't tell me, save it for the pod, but they're <laughs> going to have 500,000 monthly listeners or some shit.
1: So no, they do not have 500,000 monthly right. listeners.
2: So no, one, no one gives a shit about this band. I was right. They have one million monthly listeners.
1: What? <laughs> <laughs> By far, they had the most monthly listeners out of every artist on this page. Combined, even. <laughs> there, One of them might have had 500. I don't remember which one it was, but yeah. One million monthly listeners still listening to Sugar Cult. <laughs>
2: Okay, so if you look up Sugar Cult, there are at least three non-radio-based Spotify playlists that feature them. Uh, And then, of course, many, many user. Oh, there's more. There's Pure Pop, Punk. Um, And then, yeah, tons of people just have built playlists around music that they're nostalgic for, I guess.
1: Yeah. So, but that much... A million monthly listeners. many people
2: are like, yeah, let's throw that song Memory on.
1: Memory has 65 million plays on Spotify. 65 million plays. The next one down is Bouncing Off the Walls, which still has 21 million plays, which is off their previous record. Though that's the more popular record. Start Static is more popular, kind of. I'll get into that later. So, yeah. I was like, million records... This song's num- This song is on the top, and they have 65 million plays. What is the deal with this band? Because they weren't that big. This I find this hard to believe. American Hi-Fi, who is their number one comparative artist, only has 800,000 monthly listeners. Mest have 100,000 monthly listeners. Yellow Card have 3 million monthly listeners, so that makes sense.
2: Yeah, Yellow Card makes sense. Absolutely.
1: The Ataris have a million, so there it is. The Ataris might be the next common denominator, <laughs> the next... But I don't know, though. How much of that is just Boys of Summer, though?
2: Well, yeah, right. Like, that's the thing is, like... No, that's...
1: It's not just Boys of Summer. Boys of Summer does have 101 million plays. <laughs> <clears throat> Sugar <laughs> um, Cult are on... their others have, like, 4 million, 5 million, 2 million, 10 million. So, okay, the Ataris are... The Ataris and Sugar Colt are on the same wavelength.
2: Okay, so they're on... The American Wedding soundtrack, they're on Punk Goes Acoustic, Punk Goes 80s, MTV, Laguna Beach, many other comps, and then, of course, all of those playlists, all of those nostalgia-based emo pop-punk playlists, and no one hates Sugar Cold.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So that one song makes it on every playlist. Yeah, I think that's what it is. All you need to make, what, a couple thousand dollars a month off of Spotify Streams, is one decent song that gets MTV airplay in 2004.
1: <laughs> I'd say uh, so. Jimmy World has six million monthly plays. So that shows me that Sugar Cult, who I think of when I listen to them, I go, they just want to be Jimmy World on this album. I don't know about the first record and a couple other things. But so yeah, it's like, okay, this band uh, still well liked if you go look at look them up on like instagram there's po- posts from this month about them a lot of posts about uh that last record because it was like a 20th anniversary and like mm-hmm. they did a vinyl reissue of it and all that so like that's mainly what all the posts are about currently
2: they have done some shows in recent years
1: yeah not not really though not a lot though
2: no but they have done a few
1: yeah so, yeah, it's just funny that it's just like, wow, so many people still like that song, huh? You're you're going and probably listening to just that one song, too. That's the funny thing. So, okay, listen to the record. You said you actually kind of liked it. It's weird. It sounds like you may have liked it a little more than I did. And I was the one who was like,
2: I want to try this out. So, I think that it's got some decent... The first... I would say the first... It's an interesting, it's an interesting record to think about the sequencing on because the first side first side first half of it is kind of what you expect it to be it's pretty much straightforward emo pop punk of this time period fairly catchy they put kind of the softer songs here like back to California," is like the acoustic and kind a of ballady song and like but then there's kind of this like middle to latter half of the record that is like surprisingly hard <laughs> yeah you're kind of just like whoa. Those are some chunky riffs, and like he's really pushing his vocals a lot harder, and th- it's not as melodic. Um, which is, it, I guess, that's the right move to make when this is your when these are the songs that you have, and this is what genre you're in. You've got to put the stuff people want to hear the most up front, the singles singles material, and then you can put your like Nirvana influenced, Foo Fighters stuff towards See, the end.
1: Yeah. Like, there's, so listening to this record, I go, okay, there's your Jimmy World, there's your Good Charlotte, there's your Blink-182s, like, all that stuff's on the front of the record, but then you get on the back half of the record, you're like, there's a lot of Nirvana and Foo Fighters on here, like, Champagne, he's got a very curt voice, Yeah, Uh, what you say has a real, just, (laughs) like, Nirvana-sounding song, like, the guitar intro, uh Counting Stars... See, I have like multiple tracks on here that I mentioned Nirvana. Champagne, what you say, over Counting Stars. Counting Stars also has a little sex and candy melody to it. Yeah, it does. And then I was like, what? I So
2: He kind of sounds like Kurt too. He
1: does. he does. He does. He sounds a little like Kurt on these songs.
2: Yeah, particularly.
1: So ultimately um, this this is <laughs> this is a tale of who mixed what is what this record uh, is. Ah. Uh. So if you look at... You'll see it. Most of all the poppy stuff at the front of the record is Tom Lord Algy.
2: That's all Algy. Yeah. Sounds like him.
1: Yeah. Like, he's the name that I recognized for mixing records. And, like, he's done a lot of that kind of stuff. The back half is all that Gavin guy. Like, is all him. And then, like, m- the guy from Jehu has, like, random songs thrown in. He only does, like, two to three songs.
2: He does four, which is worse. December... And 7, which is Champagne.
1: Champagne's got the Nirvana sort of thing, or Kurt Cobain sort of thing, but it also has like claps in it, and quiet yeah. palm muted guitars, which to me was like, oh, I think they specifically mentioned they liked how Jimmy World used claps on like one or two songs on Bleed American, and so they got the, Mark Trombino worked with Jimmy World on Bleed American, so they went and got him to do <laughs> to do a couple songs on there. And what was the other one you said? Long December. long Dece- Not Long December. <laughs> That's counting gross. Worst <laughs> December. Yeah, I wrote there like a slow Jimmy World song. So <laughs> they were like, let's get the guy to Bleed America to do a couple tracks for us. Like the more dynamic songs on the record. It is, it's just very... I did think Destination Anywhere had this fun kind of like uh, garbage sort of like guitar tone to it. But, yeah, then the other guy, the Gavin guy, he's the Toad of the Wet Sprocket guy. He oh, okay. produced those records. So, that's why Counting Stars sounds like sex and candy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is, it's like, so to me, this means this is a band. This was them going for it. They're like, we have potential. Let's see if we can capitalize on that. The backstory's weird. So, I was looking at this and the, I'm trying to find my specific notes where it talks about the history of the album
2: um while you're looking that up i want to mention how the wikipedia for this album is very dense
1: yeah it is oh they talk about every track on the
2: record why is this record have like normally albums for mid (laughs) mid (laughs) mid-2000s punk bands on wikipedia are stubs they're just like here's the track listing Here's, yeah. who, here's the credit list that's it this has like breakdowns of the individual tracks they're talking about like oh uh, how they were influenced by elvis costello and and <laughs> and the carpenters and
1: so i'm glad you like mentioned that because that is i think them going for it is very much them being like like every song on there that on that wikipedia they talk about something else that, oh that reminds me of this they they're like uh, they mentioned Jimmy at World, Blink One Eight Two, The Cars, NXS, Foo Fighters, Nirvana, U Two, Motown, Carpenters, Elvis Costello, and like every song they're like, "Oh, this part sounds like a thing. This sounds like a thing. Let's do this. Let's." So they're taking all these sounds and they're going, oh, let's let's riff on that. Let's riff on that now. Like that sounds like that. Let's do that. You know, yeah.
2: Well, they're, yeah, they're, it's interesting they're, they're thinking." Like, they're making production, they're not just showing up and playing the songs, they're making production choices based on stuff that they know, that they like, that is also successful. It's, it's interesting. It's not what you expect from this kind of a pop-punk band to do. Which, to um, me, is them
1: trying to go for it, because they're like, let's try a little bit of everything
2: that might work. Yeah, and but it's not even that scattered. Like, I don't feel like this record... This record doesn't sound like it was mixed by three different people. I mean, I think it sounds like it's mixed by two people. It does sound like it's there's two sides to the band. It's a pretty
1: clear distinction between who the Tom and Gavin like split because the Gavin stuff is all the like alt rock radio sounding stuff that they're going for the post grunge sound a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that the variety of material that they're playing though is so far apart like I don't feel like it doesn't work together it doesn't sound like a different band it just sounds like different different songs that are being produced by different producers like different kinds of songs that are being produced by two different producers but those aren't even like wildly different sounding like you can play the Foo Fighters next to Blink-182 on the radio and it's yeah yeah yeah. it's It's fine it's not like jarring (laughs)
1: record doesn't have a uniform sound throughout though like it doesn't have a like we're a pop punk band the whole record through like to me it's like we're a pop punk band and an alternative rock band
2: i mean i don't mind that so much because it's kind of long it's like
1: 42 minutes or something like that
2: so the variety helps it's like 40 minutes yeah almost 41 minutes so i think that i think that's of more of a benefit for this kind of record and for this band? I to me it feels like hedging your bets. Maybe. To me, the first
1: half is like, this is what's popular right now, but in case it doesn't stay what's popular.
2: We've got songs we can we can play on the rock radio.
1: To be taken seriously. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I So looking at that, I was like, okay, this is this is interesting, you know, they're they're borrowing so heavily from other things. Um, they're specifically referencing things. And so I was like, this is an interesting way to look at it. And I got to looking at what some of the members would later do. And the biggest thing is Pagnata, the lead singer, he would go on to be like a songwriter and a producer. So he has worked with Neon Trees, Sugar Ray, Switchfoot, Plain White Tees, Weezer, and Blink-182. And he has songwriting credits for all of those bands, like maybe a song on a record. So I think this skill set that he has as a songwriter really translates to being a successful songwriter and producer because then it means you can do lots of different things and you can write something that's in the voice of another band and it makes you a desirable commodity. You know, like, let's get that guy to help us out on our record because, like, maybe he could beef up something that's, like, just a rough demo for us, you know?
2: Yeah, we need to workshop this. Yeah. Yeah. This record sounds. That was one thing that that was one thing that struck me, and that makes a lot of sense. That that's where he would go career wise. More so on the first half, it felt it felt uh, shopped. Not shopped. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of what's the. It sounds like someone else helped them write it. Was what I thought, but it, he's the kind of person who helps other people write songs. Yeah, yeah. That's why it sounds that way.
1: Yeah, so I, I found like the little history about this record too that I that I was thinking about earlier. So it's weird. They Prior to this record, they were on Ultimatum Music. Smaller label, I don't think it's very big. Uh, it might, I don't know if they have any sort of ownership on that label or not, but they're like probably the biggest name on the label. Sugar Cult then signs with Fearless Records. Makes sense. Fearless is doing some big pop punk stuff during this time period. But then Ultimatum sold the rights to to this record to artemis records so most likely it was going to be i guess fearless was going to license it from ultimatum but then whenever artemis who was a big label like it was, a, it was a major i think it was a major like if you go look at their stuff it it may not be a major but it's like that next tier down from a major label they're putting out like all the genres you know that's one of those labels that's like here's a rap song album here's a rock album here's a metal album here's a punk album, like that kind of label i don't know that they exist anymore but so they, they sold the whole record <laughs> to Artemis, which to me goes, well, clearly what happened is they got three people to mix this thing. And then, cause they're like, we're going for it. They got three people to mix it to give them like the top variety of sounds. And then they shopped it around to find a home for it. And Fearless wound up doing like the European pressing of it. And Artemis did it in the States. And there's like another Japanese label that released it over there too. So it's just very much like they made a record while on another label, with the, and then the label was like, "Now let's try and sell this to somebody." <laughs> um, it reached number forty-six on the Billboard 200. That's a pretty good, it's a pretty good number. It got mixed to kind of favorable reviews. Um, all the reviews are kind of like, "Hey, it's not too bad." Kind of sounds like this, <laughs> and a little like that, and uh, but there's never like there's no like super duper glowing reviews. It's not like, oh my god. I can't this this is the new coming so why didn't it work
2: I don't think it has anything to say and that was that was that was my biggest my whole gripe listening to the whole thing I'm like there's all they're doing lots of little things the songs are melodic and catchy there's heart stuff there's poppy stuff I think the slower songs could use a little more work I think the slower songs need something more to say I think that all of the lyrics are too generically relatable and there's never any there's really no good imagery. There's no good details to really latch onto and make this feel like something that someone has actually experienced. It seems very much like I want to write a song that has this theme, but then you're not really like filling that theme with any details or any places or any people. It's just kind of I mean it's not necessarily a it's not necessarily like bad songwriting or anything like that. It's just that the the lyrics really don't grab you in any way. They're just something that's easy to sing and they imply some feelings and some kind of sincerity, but um they're yeah, they're all capable musicians. Like there's no like amazing any like particular instrumental aspect of the band that stands out like there's not like they don't have that great drummer or they have like an amazing guitar player, or anything specific, but they're solid. His voice is good. Mm-hmm. Like, we kind of, and he has range and some can do different things. Kind of sounds like Kurt. Like, mm-hmm. he has that kind of smoky, been screaming voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the more pop punk sounding stuff, I thought he sounded like Matt from Alkaline Trio.
1: There's a but, lot of that there. He's got that grit that Matt has,
2: but just more technically capable. I felt like.
1: Yeah, probably didn't have throat polyps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and need surgery. There's yeah, looking there's like some other people on the record too. There's additional vocals, uh additional guitar by Alain Johannes, who like is just like a multi-instrumentalist. I think the the biggest he has been involved with such hard rock acts as Queens of the Stone Age, Them Crooked Vultures, PJ Harvey, Chris Cornell, Arctic Monkeys. Mark Lanigan, R.I.P. Uh, so, like, he's just like a, I'm a rock guy. I'm going to come mm-hmm. play rock on your on your record. And I think, I don't know which track it is that he features digital guitar work. It could be, like, it could be some of the, like, the only times where you're like, that's a pretty good riff, you know. Um, and then also there's, like, keys on two, well, there's two keyboardists, John Nooney and Ariel Reichstad, Reichshad, Reichshad, who is from the Hippos, mm. like a ska mm. band. But he also has done production for like Heim and Vampire Weekend and Madonna. So yeah. <laughs> it's just when you look at everything, it's like, ah, this is just an in the industry made this record.
2: Yeah, they did. And I mean, I don't know. He went and had a career in the industry. So more power to him, I guess. And they're getting, you know, a million plus monthly listeners.
1: Yeah. They're still making money off this. Yeah. You know, you said it it doesn't feel like a very sincere record like there is some stuff on here like they've specifically you know he specifically said what all of these songs are about like he's talked about every single song on this record i think they all come from like like through the web archives you can go look at the old sugarcoat website and i think they did this like he talked about every single song mm. on the record i explained all of them and <laughs> Which is like, okay, leave nothing for mystery. Though when you read them all, you're like, these all sound like relationship songs. They're all just relationship songs. One's a, I'm on the road during a relationship song, and it sucks. But they're mostly just, like, relationship songs. He says in, like, one of them, he's like, yeah, this is a song that I didn't want my partner at the time to, like, see these lyrics. (laughs) Maybe you shouldn't, because then we'd have to have a conversation. (laughs) And I think it was just like, well, then maybe don't sing it on a record, but... (laughs)
2: Yeah, don't put so much of your, like, actual, do some writing.
1: There's a guy, there's a song on the record about their old drummer and, like, talk, I think he said he wrote it before they knew he had a drug problem, and it was a lot, a lot of the lyrics are just about how, like, you're being weird. (laughs) It's like, oh, because he's on drugs. (laughs) So, okay, all music, the all music review from this time, the line at the very end says, uh, Sugar Cult are more concerned with pleasing crowds than making a statement. And that is very true with this record. There's no big statements. But you know what the other thing that I really think is responsible for why this record doesn't didn't really take off or have staying power. I don't it's hard to say that because there's still a monthly a million monthly listeners.
2: But it's, it's the is, one song. It's mostly the one song.
1: Yeah. So it's the timing is off. The timing's wrong for this record. Oh four. We didn't talk about these records, but we have albums from My Chemical Romance, Taking Back Sunday. The Used, Say Anything, Senses Fail, Hawthorne Heights, and Lexus on Fire. The sound is changing. Yeah. We're moving away. Emo is moving away from Simple Plan and Good Charlotte, who had records that year, but they're not their big ones. Those are starting to wane. Green Day releases American Idiot, which kind of sucks up the room for real slick pop punk, but also they did something different with a rock opera. Jimmy World, I think Jimmy World saw the writing on the wall and we're like, "Hey, uh, we're going to f- tempo." Yeah, we're doing a record. We're going to do all the slow songs on the last record. That's our new sound going forward. Avril Levine put out Under My Skin. There's your mainstream super duper pop radio version of this sound, which is also on its way out. So it's just like, ah, uh, this was the wrong time to release this record. It's
2: and I th- yeah, 03 doesn't have O three has the records that are laying that framework, but it's not blown up yet. It's got Deja and Tandu, and it's got the second Coheed record. It's got an AFI record. It's got um what's that? Is that the first Fallout Boy Take This to Your Grave? Second Fallout Boy record. Yeah. I I definitely think it is it, it is a bad time period to be a Sunshine Locale pop punk band. Um <clears throat> Maybe if they wore like Nazi armbands and had <laughs> vague political statements <laughs> or like talked about killing themselves in their songs, they would have <laughs> been huge. Yeah, because
1: this is we're in the middle of, yeah, suicidal mainstream emo records and uh, Rock Against Bush. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't be a band not really saying anything <laughs> at all
2: yeah Ocean Avenue was in 2003 so where's your fiddle player yeah Blake we already, already got a yellow card
1: Blake 182 is already well established at this point and they were going into the more upper levels too as far as mainstream they would ex- extend and then cause yeah then when you go to AO5 there's your panic at the disco there's another fallout boy Paramore's first record yeah it's just like this sound is done and Jimmy World knew it was done and good charlotte would be good charlotte for a while but nobody cares about i mean when american hi-fi they went more mainstream sr 71 put out that record this year you know 741 did chuck this year it's just like oh yeah it's not right you put all this effort into this thing to making it the one and it didn't work (laughs) because of your timing and it doesn't feel like
2: yeah, you gotta oh, you gotta go open for Blink in Europe and Green Day in Japan. Mm hmm.
1: Which is cool. I mean, that is really cool. I've never opened for Green Day in Japan. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean That is awesome. Oh yeah, when you listen to this record though, it's very much like they're going for it. Mm-hmm. And they're just there's immediately a cap yeah. is put on how high they can go for it. Yeah. Because you're not gonna have you're not on the major. You're not Green Day. No. You're not Yellow Card.
1: The majors aren't looking for new Green Days and Yellow Cards.
2: You've got to usher in plain white tees.
1: Yeah. And I don't know. I think the members of the bands are they they've not really done much. So like you said they played some shows, but like I don't think they've really played that many. I don't So they broke they released, released another record after this one. I didn't listen to it to know what it sounds like. I'm curious to see what they went with. Like, what direction. If I had to guess, I would say they went in the memory direction because why wouldn't you?
2: Yeah, they toured with Maxine. Yeah. And the Spill Canvas. And All Time Low. And so I would, yeah, I would assume they doubled down on that. They have a song on the One Tree Hill soundtrack. They played Soundwave in 2008. Yeah. They performed with members of Five Seconds of Summer, who have cited Sugar Cult as a primary influence.
1: Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because they're an an industry band. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, we really like the other industry band. Uh, And then, yeah, Goldfinger, Frontman. uh, They did a benefit concert in 2017, where they also played with John Feldman. Yeah, they just kind of stopped. They played with some one-offs. Chain reaction Anaheim in 2011. Interestingly, though, uh, Marco Desantis. If you go look, I think he runs the social media because it's all about him. <laughs> it's all like he's doing all the. He's the guy. If you're gonna, if you want to talk about Sugar Cult or talk to a member of Sugar Cult, you're gonna talk to Marco Desantis because he does. He handles all their social media handles. It's like, yeah, I'll come do that. Yeah, I'll be on the emo your emo night. Yeah, I'll come <laughs> do that podcast. So like. <laughs> I guess he's just the one who's just like, look, I'm going to maintain this. Tim's busy, you know, working with Blink-182, so (laughs) I could see being like, "Uh, yeah, Marco, if you want... You know, he's the lead guitarist, so it's not like, you know, it's like the drummer who left the band is running the account or anything like that. (laughs) It's like a key, key member of the band is like, I'm keeping this engagement up. I mean, it's working. I mean, we're getting a million plays and 65 million on a single song, you know. Hell yeah.
2: And... When this episode goes up uh, next week, you and I will be sending each other screenshots of tweets uh, about a big sugar cult reunion tour. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's the way our our timing always works out. Tends
2: to be. uh, That's our prediction. What's the over under on that? Do it. Go for it.
1: (laughs) I'm surprised there haven't been really Um, because ultimately I think this is a good record. It's it's enjoyable.
2: If I were to listen to it again, there's maybe two songs I'd skip yeah um it's really solid uh and then maybe something i don't know maybe something more will stand out to me uh maybe knowing what the songs are specifically about makes them more engaging lyrically but really really i had i mean i listened with headphones on i was super attentive and very little jumped out um yeah strong melodic writer but i mean he could make things rhyme and make things fit the meter but there's just the lines themselves aren't interesting
1: yeah Yeah, I mentioned on Spotify, Memory is the number one song. The only other song from this album that's in the top ten on Spotify is She's the Blade, which has almost three million plays. It's the second most popular album behind Start Static, though. And they have a, let's see, Last.fm says this is the most popular record uh, with four of the tracks from this album in the top ten tracks. And Rate Your Music says this is the second most popular album. And tied for second best album with their next album Lights Out. So it seems like all the Sugar Cult fans are like Start Statics the one. Like yeah. that's the record. So I'd be I've not listened to that one I'd be curious to listen to it to see how it sounds. Um it might be a little scrappier because it's on Ultimatum. Maybe there's more more material there. It, you know they big, did a big 20th anniversary for that one. So I don't know. It's um I'm glad to like dig on this band because they they've always been just a little like what's their deal for me? And I think I get it now. And it's not bad. It's good. Well, unless you have anything else to say,
2: I do not have any more thoughts on the band Sugar Cult. Like I'm yep. tapped out.
1: Yeah. I, I was lucky to find as much <clears> as I did <throat> about them and uh, make that connection to the timing.
2: But yeah. We need to deprogram from the Sugar Cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but yes, thank you everyone for listening. Check out all the stuff we mentioned up top. Uh, You know, we always ask our guests for charities and nonprofits at the end. So as we're recording this, two big things have kind of happened this week. Uh, We're on the brink of World War III. Uh, (laughs) Not sure what that means for us. And I don't know what there is anything we can do to help. I imagine some Red Cross efforts will probably be the only thing that we could do. But more to Uh come on that, you know. I feel like yeah. we'll we'll hear about that kind of stuff. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but the one thing that we can do right now uh, relates to Texas and their fucking trash ass governor, yeah. Greg Abbott. If you're not familiar, he passed some. It's not even a bill. It's like a th- just a an ordinance or executive order or something. Basically, uh, in basic. I mean,
2: not legally enforceable, but just yeah just sucks i mean going to get a lot of good parents um involved with law enforcement and with child services unnecessarily or actually caring about and affirming their uh trans children's gender Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean just in general just not not helpful for the state of texas and trans people in that state so particularly young trans people but everyone everyone is affected by that i think yeah there i saw a good thread on twitter i'll have to dig that up and try and send that i'm sure you've you've probably seen it as well of organizations that you can give money to that will specifically put money in the hands of trans people um who organizations that are not necessarily overfunded not getting all of the donations that that's what happens when there's something like this happens there's that one organization that gets too much money and they have to stop taking money and uh there's the rest of that money doesn't get spread around so look for that this is going up after the fact so maybe if there's any organization in your community that gives money specifically to unhoused trans youth really any anything that can help the lgbt community in where you live is a great place to give money so uh and if, if you it, are in one of the states like arizona who have similar bills coming up for legislation soon call your representatives who's that sign petitions do whatever you can and speak out
1: uh I, I don't know if the thread you're thinking of is aaron trail mom at aaron in the morn uh they have shared a couple things lambda legal if you're in Texas and you need legal help for this, uh ACLU of Texas complaint form and Equality Texas. She is also she's got a thread of GoFundMe's of parents for trans kids who need assistance uh for relocation. So might I might link to that if if something bigger or more involved shows up in between now and when we record, it'll be in the show notes. Mutual Aid groups too, you know, Charities are always like, mm, I don't know, where's this money really going? Uh, mutual aid groups is usually pretty transparently, you know, where they're spending their money. and They're on the ground. And I imagine there's going to be protests for this, and so people are going to need to be bailed out for that because it's Texas. So, yeah, important things to look out for. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see what else comes about this week. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Sorry to end the show on a downer, but, you know, it's weird to not talk about it. It's weirder to not talk about it (laughs) and try and like, act like everything's fine. We're just normal. Talking about sugar cult.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, we should, we talked about that record being pretty meaningless. Um, (laughs) There's, there's something that we can talk about that is very important. So yeah, we'll get that in there, but
1: yep. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week.